just a few words for the young ones among us. And I think uh, already we've had a children's sermon in the back going on. Luke Edward is just so active. And I love to see children crawling toward the baptismal font. So I think that's a great sign that he's ready for baptism when the day comes, right? So, um, and then I also, I thought for a minute, well, he went out the door and maybe he's just trying to get away from my sermon already. I don't know. So, but uh, this is what I wanted to share with the, with the younger ones about this gospel lesson where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it makes me think about uh, a prayer that we say pretty regularly that talks about bread. So if you remember the prayer of Jesus, we call it sometimes the Lord's Prayer. That line in there, can you think of the line? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, what does that mean? I mean, yes, everybody eats every day, but I wonder if there isn't more to our understanding of what daily bread is. And I can't wait for you, young ones, when you're old enough to have confirmation instruction, because then you're gonna get a book like this, right? I don't know if you can see it, Luther's Small Catechism. And Martin Luther, that's the person that kind of gave the Lutheran church its name, uh, wrote a lot about the Lord's Prayer. And he wrote this catechism, which is basically a book of questions and answers. And this is the question. Um, <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? How many of you can remember? How, how many of you memorized this when you were 13, 14? See if it jogs your memory. God gives daily bread indeed without our prayer. Also to the wicked. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to know it and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. And then the question, what is meant by daily bread? And this is where I'm going with my children's sermon here. Daily bread is everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, field, cattle, money, goods, a pious spouse, pious children, pious servants, pious and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. So really, this list could just go on and on and on and on. And I like that idea. And sometimes when we say the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, all we're thinking about is what we're going to have for lunch. But there is so much more. It really is what God is saying to us. And what Martin Luther reminds us is it's everything we need to sustain our life. 
And the most important part of this, when we say the Lord's Prayer, and we say that line is not, give me this day my daily bread. How do we say it? Give us this day. So it's not just a prayer for our own wants and needs. It's a prayer for all of us. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying that everyone has everything they need for their daily life. And as Martin Luther says, we would get that from God anyway, even those of us who are wicked. But it is a wonderful and lovely thing when we understand that what we have that comes from God is God's way of saying, I love you, I care for you, and I will be blessing you always, no matter what. So today's gospel lesson, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and the reminder of the Lord's Prayer, where we pray for everybody's needs, is such a great reminder that maybe we need to think a little more widely about the things that we say. Right? Give us this day our daily bread is not just about what we're going to have for our next meal. It's about what everyone in the whole world needs and how we can be part of that process of blessing everyone when we share with others what we have, when we receive with grace what God gives us, and when we know that God is very much a part of the whole process. So this is our prayer. Gracious and loving God, thank you for not only our bread, but for everything else that you see that we need and you give us out of love and grace. Amen. And for the older ones among us, Presbyterian Pastor Ted Wardlaw once wrote a story about a day when a church supply salesperson in a three-piece suit and all decked out, you know, came into his office to try to sell him some Bible games that were geared for the church's Sunday school and youth group. And the top seller that season was a game called dollars and cents. It was a board game, kind of like Monopoly. And the salesperson said it was a great teaching tool for children about Christian economics. And the way it worked was this. If the players landed on a square that was labeled college graduate, they received a certain sum of money. And if they landed on a square named middle-level executive, they received a greater sum of money. And then if they were lucky enough to land on the square labeled company president, they would get a large sum of money. So regardless of the amount of money that they received, however, they had to give 10% of it to the church square in the middle of the board, and that evidently was the primary lesson in the Christian economics game. But 
this money would pile up in the middle of the board. And if you landed on the square showers of blessing, all the money in that middle square became yours. It was like a jackpot. Well, Wardlaw was not impressed to say the least. He said, I think this is a crass lesson to teach a child that the word blessing is so easily associated with the word jackpot. And the salesperson didn't flinch, looked that pastor straight in the eye and said, well, Reverend, isn't that the way the world works? Yes, I suppose that is the way the world works. I'm hungry for a blessing, we say, when we're really hungry for a jackpot. Blessings come as a sign of God's grace. They are gifts that deepen and enrich our human experience. Jackpots, on the other hand, come as a sign of luck, windfalls that give us more of what most people are after, fame and power and fortune. A child, for example, in an urban school in Reno, Nevada, who has a passionate and caring teacher has received a blessing through that teacher. A high roller in a casino down the street who comes up big at the roulette table has received a jackpot. Sadly, given the choice, many would happily trade the passion of learning for a few lucky strikes at the roulette wheel. Yes, Reverend, but isn't that the way the world works? The preference for jackpots over blessings is easy to spot, of course, when it comes at us full force and undisguised. The picture of Wall Street financiers working leveraged buyouts of companies whose employees they neither know nor care about simply to line their pockets with more cash, that's easy to decipher. They may say being in the right place at the right time to find this opportunity was a real blessing, but it's no blessing. It's a jackpot, pure and simple. Despite the fact that no one has ever confessed on his or her deathbed, I wish I had worked harder on weekends, stayed more evenings at the office, spent less time with my children, poured more of myself into the pursuit of my career. The fact is that countless of us do these things, hustling at warp speed right past life's blessings on our way to some kind of elusive jackpot. We want it all. Yes, Reverend, that's the way the world works. And it's fairly easy to spot. However, it is more difficult to tell the difference between the hunger for a blessing and the lust for a jackpot when it takes a religious form. So take, for example, the crowds. 
described in today's reading from the Gospel of John, who had been fed by Jesus on the mountaintop and, and who followed him eagerly all the way to Capernaum. At first, when we read this story, we might be impressed by their spiritual earnestness. They want to be near Jesus, we think. They thirst for his teaching. They long to deepen their encounter with God. In short, the crowd clearly seems hungry for a blessing. But actually, that is not the case. Jesus discerns their true motive and calls it as he sees it. You're not looking for me because of the signs of God's presence, he says. You're looking for me because you got well fed on the mountain. In other words, they aren't looking for a blessing at all. They're looking for another jackpot. Now, we have to be careful here. This is a simplistic story. This is not the crass account of people who get their bellies filled, but who cared nothing for the life of faith. These are not people who come to a church for a potluck supper, but yet won't come to church for the preaching. They're not the people who show up in the sanctuary to make business contracts um, rather than to sing hymns. This crowd believes that it is following Jesus for all the right reasons. They think their religious intentions are pure. After all, when they were fed on the mountaintop, they said of Jesus with one voice, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So why did Jesus challenge their motives? In the first place, Jesus perceives that the crowd is following him because he can make their life better, but on their terms and in their categories. Jesus wants to give them life, but they would rather just have an improved lifestyle. Here's maybe an example that will help you. A few years ago, when I was the night minister, I met a man on one of my walks who worked as a stockbroker. And our conversation was very awkward because I really don't know much about how the market works. And so I became uncomfortable with him and he saw how comfortable I was. And of course I had my clerical collar on and I was making him uncomfortable as well. So finally, he said with some relief, um, I read the Bible when the market is down. I'm like, okay. Um, I think that's a perfect example. The confusion of a blessing and a jackpot. This broker no doubt thought he was doing a good thing, a righteous thing, reading the Bible when the Tao dropped. But the presumption was that religion's task or the church's task or the clergy's task or God's task is to make life better, to hold him together when the market faltered or even to turn a bear market into a bull market. 
and he was confusing his prayer and his Bible reading with wanting a jackpot. We do the same thing when we assume that God's role is to make life that we have designed and planned out very well to work as smoothly or better than we had hoped. Oh God, we say in our prayers, I have these plans, make them work. That's not a blessing, that's a jackpot. Jesus is not the short order cook preparing food to suit our whims. He does not offer the food that perishes, but the food that endures for eternal life. And the food that endures for eternal life is of course Jesus himself, who clearly says today, I am the bread of life. This is not perishable bread that feeds a passing whim. This is the nourishment of God that is feeding our souls. This is not bread that we are supposed to knead and bake as if we could. This is bread that God gives us as a gift when the crowd continuing to be confused asked Jesus then, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus said in effect, you can't perform the work of God because what is going on here will transform you, but you cannot perform it. Only God performs the work of God. You are called to believe it, to receive it, and to live in it. I recently read about a rabbi who died in England, and his obituary told a little bit of his life and how when he was a young boy, he and his family were prisoners in one of the Nazi camps in Germany. And in the camp, the prisoners were given just barely enough food to survive, some grain, a bit of stale bread, a few grams of lard each week. And despite their harsh environment, this boy's family continued to observe the Sabbath every week and somehow managing to scrounge up a piece of candle and a little food each week. They said the Sabbath prayers and they pronounced the Sabbath blessings. And one week, however, there was no candle so when the evening came and Sabbath was at hand, the boy's father took some of their precious lard and molded it around a bit of string. And he lit that to be their makeshift candle. And he began to lead his family in the prayers and the blessings. But his son was outraged. When the prayers were done, he confronted his father and said, how could you do that? How could you waste what little lard we have to make a candle. It's the only food we have. And his father answered him, son, without food, we can live for several days. Without hope, we cannot live an hour. So you're about to enter another little transition in your life at Christ Church Lutheran. Grace is well involved in their transition. This is a series of congregations, right, who are waiting and waiting and waiting for God. 
to say to them, this is what your future will be. Do not go for the jackpot, right? There is no perfect pastor for you. There is no perfect answer sometimes when you're in the midst of waiting other than go to Jesus who is the bread of life and wait until the spirit tells you clearly what your future is. That is the message I think today. Don't work for the things that perish, Jesus said but for the food that endures for eternal life. Don't lose sight of that goal. Don't let go of Jesus' hands. Don't stop praying to the Spirit for guidance. Don't stop being together as a community of faith. Don't stop, but wait and look for what God has to offer. Amen.